Hello, Sober Town. Welcome to the Sober Town Podcast. Let's jump on that sober train and ride right into, into the incredible, wonderful world of sobriety. And just a quick mention, we have the SoberTownPodcast.com website, and we have tons of resources in there. Todd's got a whole bunch of uh, resources to help you build a sober toolbox, your body on booze, sobriety discussions, and uh, sober toolboxes. So then this morning, we have the amazing Megstar from IAS that's on my sober crew. We're on the same sober crew, Megstar. You know, I was thinking, Megstar, about look how many amazing people are around the, the time that we started, right? You, Polly, uh, Karina, I, and then they're building. And King, well, King came in later, but they're working with all the women, right? Yeah. So look, we don't, we're on limited time. Let's just get going right into this. Um, I'm so glad to meet you. I'm just like, I'm starstruck. Drifter, <laughs> back at you. Now, let's, you are writing a book, right? Um, yes, I am writing a book. And so you gave me, uh, you sent it to me. And so it's called the Iris Exit. Irish Exit. Yep. You want That'll to tell the working title. You want to tell people what, what an Irish exit is? Sure. So an Irish exit is an exit when, you know, things haven't gotten shitty yet. Uh, in, in my old life, it was leaving the bar early. You know, when you realize that, God, you're too tipsy or you're messed up and you're embarrassed and you want to make sure that you get out before something really crappy happens. And that's pretty much what I did with just booze in general in my life. Um, I realized that I was getting embarrassed. I was embarrassing my family. And I made an Irish exit before things got really, really, really shitty. So um, we, you, and you mentioned this in, in the book about that you didn't, your Irish exit is also you exited into your sobriety, right? Before it got yeah. too bad. Yeah, I left early. So it's what you call in many of the alcohol-free circles, um, the gray area drinking. You know, um, I realized that I had a problem before society did. You know, they they hadn't slapped me with a DUI. They hadn't put me in jail. I wasn't um, doing anything that outwardly people thought was like, you know, causing me a super problem that I had to stop drinking. And yet I knew in my heart that alcohol was such a problem for me that it was affecting everything in my life. And I, and I left early. And I think that's what, you know, the Irish exit is, is just an early leave. So let's talk about a little bit about how that was, you know, you put a, a poem up the other day on the IAS and who, who was washing the dishes? Oh my God. Um, that stands out the most to me in my pre- uh, my pre-sober life is my dad. My dad was washing the dishes after Halloween night when I routinely would get super drunk. Um, it, it's a big night of drinking in my neighborhood. And I got super drunk uh, in front of my parents. And my dad had to go pick me up from a house with my children. And my dad had to put me to bed. Um, and he had to do that for his mom, who was a severe alcoholic and died really young. And he realized for the first time that I had such a problem. And 
I realized that he realized <laughs> that I had a super problem. Uh, you know, in the morning when he was washing the dishes with his back to me and he started crying and that just hit me like this has to stop. And I promised him, he said to me, you, you know, you just have to do this for them. And he met my children and I realized that he had been that kid and I wanted to do that for them, for my kids. Even if I couldn't do it for myself, uh, I had to do it for them. And I made him the promise. I, I promise, I promise I will quit just to make him stop crying and to stop that horror that I was experiencing. And I lied. I couldn't do it. I started drinking again. And I knew at that point, after making that kind of a promise to somebody so important to me, that I had a super problem that needed to be addressed. And you weren't, you know, this is why I think your book is so important because you're not under a bridge. You haven't lost everything. You had, there's no like major consequences. And as far as like publicly or criminally or nothing, but it's all the little things that that's happened. Right. It's all the little things. It's the relationship and the relationships. It's your, your parents, your, your husband, your children, but also more importantly, it's the relationship with yourself. It's knowing in your heart that you're not living the right life. You're not, you're not doing the right thing. And you know what the problem is. You just have to get rid of it. So did your life like um, evolve around planning how you would drink? Oh yeah. I mean, um, my life always was, you know, I was the party girl and I was always looking for a party. Um, I was always the first one to go out the door so that I could drink. And once I was at the party, I thought I was enjoying it, but really all I was thinking about was, you know, when do I get to go drink? Um, when's my next drink? Am I drinking too much? Once it's kind of tipped over, it was, am I drinking too much? Do I look like a fool? Should I go home now? And I always inevitably left early because it never saw the end. You know, I was never in the group picture. I was never uh, experiencing that fun part of the end of the night because I left early because I was so embarrassed uh, to be called out as an alcoholic or a drunk or somebody who, you know, couldn't handle their alcohol. And that's the Irish exit. That that's you the Irish on. exit. So yeah. you, you lived the Irish, Irish exit. I lived it until I truly lived it. Yep. So I lived the Irish exit. So that started at a young, when you were younger, is that when you started drinking? So I probably started drinking when I was like 12 or 13 years old. And I loved it. Um, I loved how illicit it was and how fun it was and how freeing it was. I always thought it enabled me to like be more spontaneous and more, have more enjoyment. Um, I thought it was fun. I equated, you know, drinking with fun. And it was like, there were so many fun moments until it's not fun until you get to that point where that was just too much alcohol in a given night, or there's too much alcohol soaked experience in your life. And now it's affecting your life. Right. Right. I think it's almost like an illusion though, because, you know, if I look back, I, I probably could have had a lot more fun without the alcohol. Um, oh, heck yeah. And then you would, I mean, you would have been in those group pictures, right? Because yeah. yeah. you would have been able to finish the nights out too. Oh yeah. But that's the, that's the matrix. That's the illusion yeah. that we're raised with. So you went through high school, then you went through junior high, like drinking here and there too, huh? 
high oh, yeah. school? We were drinking um, junior high, high school. Uh, college was just just soaked in alcohol. I mean, I was in the Midwest in Iowa. There's not a whole lot to do in the middle of a cornfield. So, right. um, I learned how to play pool and, uh, and I drank, um, and I learned how to drink really well, um, <laughs> uh, a lot, you know, um, and there are moments from my college experience that are totally blacked out that bad crap could have happened, you know, that I don't even know about. Right. And I just kind of, that scares me to death. So here you are, um, you've been drinking, um, all your life. Um, but you, you ended up, you're successful and you have a, 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 an amazing marriage. It looks like, and you know, an amazing family. Um, but you, you're living with this dark secret, right? How that, that should, that drives you to the ground, doesn't it? Oh yeah. I mean, I, um, listen, I got a master's degree in education. I was a teacher. Um, I, I was relatively highly successful. I mean, you would say that I, I was like at the top end of highly functioning, if you will. Um, I have a marriage that's lasted almost 18 years and four children who are accomplished. You'd think that, you know, um, I was doing great, but there was this underlying thing in me that, you know, I was always just waiting for the next drink and I was a slave to that. I really was, um, I wasn't in control. Yeah, and, and you mentioned in here um, that whatever you were doing, you were always just like waiting for the next drink. So your life literally evolved around planning for your alcohol. I mean, because you mentioned you can't even have a dog because uh, it would like mess up your drinking. Right. I mean, having four kids in five and a half years and uh, raising them, it's, it's busy and stressful in my family. And I wanted to have a dog for my children, uh, because I knew that they needed it. Um, you know, both, all of my kids are relatively needy in different ways. And I knew that a dog would help out, but I, I couldn't add anything to our house just cause I had no, I was keeping people alive and I couldn't, um, I couldn't add anything extra in terms of responsibility because I was just surviving. I was getting the dishes done and making sure there was food on the table and, you know, getting them where they needed to go. But there was nothing extra that I could, I could give to them. I had nothing left. Um, Alcohol was stealing all of that time from you, really. It was stealing time, huge amounts of time. Um, The second half of the night. I mean, by the time I sat down on the couch where I would go to drink um, and watch television at the end of the night and that, those hours were gone. I mean, the hours of tucking my children in and that special time that you get that you'll never get again after they're gone. I was losing all of that. Those hours and really when you add them up, weeks, months of my life were just gone. So you're living this life because everybody like sees um, you as functioning and don't even realize you have a problem, huh? Yeah. I mean, and in fact, I think they don't want to see that I have a problem because then they have to look at themselves a bit. Um, I think a whole lot of people, you know, their knee jerk reaction to me is always, well, really? I didn't, I didn't think you had a problem. And more often than not, it's those people who also might need to look at their drinking, you know, who say that, um, probably 
because in the back of their mind, they know that they have to examine their drinking a little bit as well. Yeah, you're, you definitely become a lighthouse. And it's really obvious to people that are still drinking. And probably secretly, they're hoping to do what you're doing. So yeah. you, you're a lighthouse for everybody that knows what you're going through. I think so. And I think that's why it's important to be honest and open about it with people, because uh, they do need help. And they are your friends and you do care for them and you you want to be able to share your experience with them, even though it might be embarrassing, in order for them to get help too. <clears throat> so you're you're living this lie <clears throat> and it's just you're miserable and you decide that you gotta get sober. So what did you is that when you found IAS? Yep. So I mean, I like to equate this to like, you know, a long jumper who has to take a few major leaps before they do their big jump, right? Um, And that's what I tell people in my life, friends who have tried to quit is like, listen, it doesn't always just happen overnight, right? Like usually you start doing the research, you're Googling, you're, you know, figuring out, do I have a problem? If I have a problem, what do I do? Um, You know, I had tried to quit a few times, like done like the dry January and those kinds of things. Um, but I didn't, I didn't really commit mentally to quitting. It was always like a month or let's see if you can do this. If you can do a month, that means that you're not an alcoholic. Um, and I think that that is what a lot of people think is like, okay, if I can white knuckle myself through one month, that's proof that I'm not an alcoholic. Not really. That's proof that you can abstain for one month. That, and, and I probably shouldn't even use that word alcoholic, have a problem with drinking, right? Is what I really mean. If you can get through a month, that means you can get through a month. That doesn't mean you don't have a problem with drinking. That doesn't mean that drinking won't always be on your mind no matter what. And that's what I kind of learned, right? Through those processes that I would go through that month and be totally sober. And then I would have that terrible night again. Like I would go back to drinking and I would be out of control again. I would have, I would be fine. I would moderate through like two, three weeks. And then one night I'd just blow it out again and be embarrassed. And I'd realize now you're always going to have this problem, whether you figure out that you can go for a month long, two months long, however long it is, you're always going to have this problem with alcohol. And it's always going to be in the back of your mind that you need to moderate And that is just a monkey on your back you can't live with forever. And how hard is planning like moderation? Isn't that like so it consumes your life? Not only is it like what I realized after I stopped drinking is not only is that cycle just a massive cycle of shit, right? That you're just going to be caught in forever if you moderate, if you try to moderate. But once you finally do come through the other side, after like two, three months, however long it takes you to white knuckle through to like that other side, your relationships, what happens when you go to a party and you're not drinking are so much richer and deeper because you're not worried about when's that next drink coming. You're not focused on, can I go to the bar again? You're actually engaged with those other people who are your friends, your family, you know, you're, you're listening to their story. You you're making great connections and you you don't have something in the back of your mind the whole time. Well, you mentioned even with your parents coming to visit you 
Oh, um, yeah. I mean, you would even put that on hold because it, they interrupted your drinking, right? That is honestly one of the greatest gifts that I've gotten from being sober is I can now have a rich, deep relationship with my parents because beforehand it was all about uh, hiding. It was about hiding, being upset that they would come to visit because it meant I needed to stop drinking. Um, and I, I wanted in, in like one part of my brain for them to come and, ex and be with my kids. They live in Boston and we live in New Jersey. And, you know, when they, when they come, it's amazing. My kids love them. They're great grandparents, but it meant I needed to stop drinking. And, and that got in the way so badly that it, I, I, I didn't enjoy their visits and I would wait until they would go back on Monday and on Monday night, my husband and I would drink like no tomorrow. Um, you know, we'd just make up for the lost time. And I found myself just waiting until they would leave, which is awful, you know? And now I don't have that. And it's such a gift in sobriety to have my parents back, this relationship that I care about so much. Yeah, that's just amazing. I, I love the relationships. Alcohol steals everything. And when we could drink and we start getting it back, it, it's just amazing the relationships we get back. It is. It is. And then, um, so you're, you're, you're trying to like, um, you try a few times and you couldn't get sober. So I tried a few times. I don't think I ever made it through to like, you know, I do like the dry January and on January 27th, I'd give in. Um, <laughs> but I, but I did put a lot of tools in place while I was doing that. So I started with hypnosis one uh, time that I tried to quit, which gave me this recording that I now use almost every night. Um, I was interviewed by the hypnotist and he basically asked me, and it was one of the first times that I was truly honest with anyone outside. Um, you know, what do you, what do you want to gain out of this? And I, I told him I'm drinking too much. I, I want to rein this in. And I, I don't want to do it in a painful way. Like I want to retrain my brain so that I don't want alcohol and it'll just be easy. Um, well, it turns out it wasn't easy, um, but it did make it easier uh, to do the, the hypnosis before bed, which would embed in my subconscious ideas about how much better my life was without alcohol and how alcohol didn't help me at all. And that I continue to this day. And that's one of the tools that I think has been very helpful when I finally made the big leap as the long jumper to say, I'm done. I'm not drinking ever again. That was, you know, a huge tool. Um, and some of the other tools I put into place over the, over time were podcasts. Um, I am sober. That app has been huge having community and connection, uh, having other people who just get where you're at, um, that you can reach out to at any time. Um, you know, now through, I am sober pod, uh, sorry, uh, zooms, uh, to connect to people actually face to face. Um, all of that stuff has really helped to build the toolbox reading books like Annie Grace's book, uh, naked mind or, um, Gosh, there are so many great books out there, alcohol-free books um, that I found so pivotal in my 
in my journey in terms of understanding where I was at as a problem drinker and how to, how to get to that next step and what it could look like. Um, all of those things were so valuable and enabled me to finally get to true sobriety and to, to feel confident that I'll never go back to drinking. And like the first, so you're getting sober the first few months. Um, and I just look at like our group that we have, it's just so amazing because with like, um, we got a uh, little Ralito and chef 56 and stuff that started those, those zooms. That's right. When we were coming in. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so they were just firing up. And then from there, just everything that's, I mean, uh, we got silver town that's been built. We have all these other things. Um, and now I'm looking like the people that are like six months or so behind us, they're just, they're building on what's already been built and, and they're even making everything stronger. Like Steve K, A-Rod, um, um, Dry Mountain Mama, her mm -hmm. first Zoom, she, she was crying and didn't even want to turn on her camera. Now she's doing podcasts in her own Zooms. That's how much building is coming out of here. But like when you first got into IAS, uh, in your first months of sobriety, how was that like? Oh God, I equate it to being in a cocoon. Uh, and we actually, it was, it was during COVID, uh, which it was a blessing for me um, because it let me really not feel the pressure to be out there, right? Um, and we left, my family left for North Carolina for a full month, not for alcohol reasons, but because... Um, because we could, because uh, for once COVID had meant that nothing was happening, uh, none of our sports or anything. So we could just go. Um, so we did, we went to North Carolina for a month and I spent that month and probably two more really in a cocoon, sleeping a lot, uh, staying by myself a lot and just um, building to the point where I could then come out and I equated it to being like a butterfly when I finally figured out, you know, that this life is, can work for me. And I had all the tools that I needed to be sober. Um, I feel like after like maybe three months for me, and I know that's different for everybody, I, I could like flap my wings and I could come back to being with people at parties and in the world and not, and, and be solid in my, in my footing and my sobriety and, and comfortable not just like forcing myself to go to parties, you know? So do you remember the first, what was the first night out? Do you remember that? The first oh, night God, you went yeah. out? Mm -hmm. I remember the first night and the host, a well-meaning host, this was a house that I always inevitably came home from not remembering the, the walk home. So it was a neighbor and he's a great host, but he always just fills your glass way too much. And uh, he thinks that he's, you know, being a great host that way. But for somebody with a serious alcohol problem, that doesn't work. So um, he asked me if I wanted wine. And when I said no, um, you know, he, he probed and pushed. And uh, it made me uncomfortable. But I also knew that there was no way that I was tempted at all. Um, and that was due to that three months of just solid cocooning, <laughs> you know? Did you feel like you had your power back that night? I did, yeah. I mean, I never really thought about that, but I knew that there was no way that anything was gonna make me drink again. 
Uh, I just, I knew that there was that road taking one sip is just the road back to shit that I never wanted to see. And did that night like empower you though for your future? Yeah, I guess so. I guess like each night that I went out after that, like I tell people now who are, are quitting drinking, it is important to sort of, to get out there, to, to test that, right? Um, not to test it and fail, but to test it so that you can see that you can do it and that you can enjoy it. Right. That you're not just going to be white knuckling through that night. You're going to find so much richness in the, the conversations that you have and the fact that you're not worried about alcohol. That it le- leading up to those nights out is really where even now I still have that anxiety where I think, okay, what am I going to do? Are people going to be drinking too much? Am I going to have to leave early? Um, should I bring my own car so I can leave early? That stuff happens beforehand. But then once you get out and you're out talking to people and you're enjoying yourself, you do forget about it and you just enjoy your night. I have to ask you, are you in pictures now at the end of the night? Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I am. But I often am not there at the end of the night because I have chosen to go home um, right. because I usually come late and leave early um, because, you know, people really are boring and terrible when they're drunk. (laughs) So I I tend to like leave when they start repeating themselves a few times and, you know, but the magic of it is you're letting them be who they are. And yeah. Yeah. And that's really, I think that's really important. Just let, we don't shove our uh, new awarenesses in their face. No, that's really hard. But, um, yeah, no, I don't want to be holier than thou. I don't want to. Um, I don't want to alienate people because I know that the world is generally an adult drinking population, and I don't want them to feel like I'm judging them. Um, and I really don't know that I am judging them. This is really just my journey. And uh, you know, when I see somebody who has a serious alcohol problem, and I can note it from a mile away, it's like you know, you can recognize your own people, right? Right. There's a bit of judgment. I try to erase it. I can't say that I'm perfect at that. Um, and I would never say anything. And I would never, unless they approached me and they wanted some help. So um, you relate now, you know, you talked about the, I want to get back to this real quick about your hypnosis and you're still using that. Yeah. But you know, you're also countering what they're doing to us on a daily basis. And you write yeah. a little bit about that too. Why don't you talk about that? Yeah. So um, I know that you've dealt quite a bit into like rewiring the brain and uh, we've just been conditioned, right? Since, since adolescence or even prior to adolescence, since we could see and hear and, and, and uh, experience and learn that alcohol is fun, right? It's glamorous and it enables you to loosen up and, uh, it's all those things that you see when you're young and you know you, you see your parents do it and you think, oh, this is something I get to do when I'm an adult. Um, and, and I think we need to totally rewire ourselves to see that that is just a multi-billion dollar industry keeping us totally slaves. And we need to rewire our brains to know that's pouring poison into our bodies 
And it's hurting us physically and it's hurting us mentally. And it's making us slaves to this industry that's basically raping us of our money. You mentioned in there 75, and now I've never looked this up. You mentioned $75 billion. Billion dollars per year. Yes. So have you seen any of those like psychological or the 16 personality tests that I put up on IAS now and then? I haven't, no. Okay, well, I just did one again and I've done it four or five times. And they, you can do this personality test in a good 10 minutes and they just nail you who your personality is. So here we got these giants with $75 billion a year. They're, they're buying the best minds in the world, not just in the United States, in the friggin' world Mm -hmm. to market us. Yeah. The psychologists, the doctors, they, the neuroscientists, they're buying all of them. How do I market these people to keep these revenues rolling? And that's what we're fighting against right now. At least my demographic is uh, the stay at home mom. Uh, the mom who has maybe um, extra time. The moms around me uh, generally are staying home with their families. They have a lot of extra time during the day. Um, they're drinking during the day. And, uh, you know, there's nothing to keep them in check. Right. Because they're not having to go to a job. Uh, they can actually take a nap before their kids come home. Um, and they're marketing to these people. You're a mommy. You need a mommy timeout. I mean, there's actually wine bottles called mommy's timeout. You know, um, they're, they're huge. I mean, even, even like all the Instagrams and the Facebooks and the, um, the Snapchats are sending to them information through memes and you know everything else that they're circulating to each other about how wine helps you out right you're just you're in a tough life and you have a rough experience um sure. manage your anxiety manage your anxiety and god knows everybody's drinking too much so that's okay you know you deserve it i love that you deserve to drink um, right. so and that's what they're seeing and so they think it's normal i saw an advertisement for uh, a wine glass holder that goes in your shower, right? What fresh hell is this? (laughs) (laughs) I mean- You can't even take a shower without it. Yeah, and once you stop drinking and you kind of like do rewire your brain to- Step step out of the matrix is what I call it. Once you step out of the matrix, you see it so clearly. It's so obvious. One time I was driving behind a car on vacation and I saw this, like, what was it? It was like ices, right? Like, like it looked like those little icy pops that kids drink, but it had alcohol in them. Those are like the new that they're marketing. It's, and I took a picture of it. I shouldn't while I'm driving, but I was like, this is, this is the work. Like this is their, they're just, they're one step ahead of us. And they're, they're hooking the kids and the moms and really everybody, they're finding a way to make it into the fabric of your life. Hound Girl went on a rage one time because they put this in yogurt uh, okay. with, with with kids eating yogurt and stuff, right? Alcohol into the yogurt. She was just oh, yeah. furious. And they'll even tie it to like health and wellness. I mean, you're, you're going to <laughs> right. yoga parties, right? That also include wine. I mean, there's a spin class down the street from me where afterwards they all go to the bar and drink. It's like, I forget what they call it, but it's like wheels and whiskeys or something. It's like, it's wild. 
everything um, revolves around it. Everything revolves around it. So it's you have to go back and like hip, hypnotize yourself at night so you don't get caught back up. I don't get caught back up. And, you know, the side effect of it was that this thing helps me sleep too, right? Like it gives you this deep, deep sleep. So that worked. Um, but I love that it helps me to retrain my brain. And I did do some research on how that works. And it's, I mean, I'm no scientist, whatever, but I, I Googled and I found that you can go and get like a generic online hypnosis. You know, I think there's a variety of them online available um, to, for alcohol cessation. But if you get one personalized to you that uses your desires, right? It uses your name specifically, um, uses the names of my children that's in there as well. It, it apparently is 10% more effective in helping you keep from drinking again, uh, which is huge. I mean, 10% of all these people who are trying to quit, right? Uh, and I do feel like it's been a huge tool for me. And you know what? If it doesn't work, <laughs> what'd you lose, right? Well, maybe I think that's something that we could put up in Sobertown too. Uh, maybe some of those links to where people could uh, get to that. Yeah, they can get to them. But I, I would advise you, if you're going to take the time and energy, it was not expensive, go and, and get a hypnotist to actually, there are tons in, in you know, all over the country who will do a personalized recording. Because you're just, if you're going to spend the time, spend it in something that's probably going to be more effective. So you've gotten sober, um, you've got a huge toolbox, and your relationships are changing. Yeah. Um, that's a still ongoing issue. Um, and, and I don't know. I mean, that's, that's the part maybe that you covered up with drinking. Right. Um, so there's a reason why we became over drinkers, perhaps, um, you know, we were masking a lot of things that maybe needed addressing. Um, and I think for sure, I specifically think of my relationship with my husband not that I don't worship and love him. I do. Um, and I think he's fantastic, but I think we got into this like rut of, um, I don't know, just stale. Right. After like 17 years of marriage, like, and, and like a lot of busyness at home and stress with our children, um, for good or for bad, you know, um, we were just going through the motions. And, um, I think now once you, stop drinking you have to evaluate that relationship right like those things that you were covering up and you have to work through and be honest with yourself the way you were in getting sober how, what do i how do i fix this because i love him and and how do i like get back to that great place where we were when we first started um so that's work you know that's the work that you uncover after you get sober yes where you say, okay, now I have to look at all that shit that I was covering up and I have to get, and I have to work hard at that. Um, so there's that, but then there's also the relationships between the friends and the drinkers that you drank with. Right. But um, you're also taking walks with your husband now too, right? Yeah. So to go back to that, um, my, my husband has been the most supportive, amazing guy, right. Through this whole process. And I have been for my part, very, honest and open with him from the, from the first day in saying, I'm going to need your support. I'm going to need your help. 
I'm going to need you to recognize that sometimes I need to go upstairs and just be by myself. I might need to take a rest, a, a bath, a walk, get out of the house, whatever it is I need to stay sober. You need to be there to support me for that. And, uh, and, and since that, he has done all of that for me. And then we needed to relearn how to be a couple again, because we used to just drink wine at the end of the night together. And that was our connection. That was our adult time. Now we actually take a walk every day in the morning with our dog, um, five miles a day. And it gives us opportunity to talk and we're healthy. I lost 26 pounds. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Wow. How cool is that? Five miles a day. Five miles a day. With the dog that you didn't have time for. With the dog I didn't have time for. Everything is better. Everything is better since sobriety. So let's talk about your kids too. Oh yeah. So I, I I was already losing my eldest daughter. She had seen way too much. She was very connected to me in that she would feel what I felt, right? And she knew when I was drunk and she knew she was so hypersensitive. If there was like too much alcohol, she would say it, mom, you're drunk. And sometimes I wasn't, but I was, you know, even she was so aware of the alcohol issue that she saw it. She was embarrassed by it. She was afraid of it, you know? And she told me later after we, after I got sober and was sober for long enough that she could count on me to really stay sober. She told me that I used to be mean to her when I was drunk and that crushed me. And I really don't remember it. I don't, I, I had so many blackout moments that I don't remember being cruel to her, but I probably was. So she's having some healing with you because she's able to now talk this through with you. Huge. Yeah. Huge. I've seen her. I've seen her. I mean, she's a tough kid, so she's still going to have some issues, but I've seen her do like a 180. Um, Once she could really, and it, it wasn't overnight. Once she, I feel like it was almost like year one that she could trust. Once she had trust, it was like a 180 in our relationship. And we are just so much closer. Um, Amazing. If, if for that reason alone, getting sober, uh, bringing her to a better place in her, you know, young life that where she could trust her mother. That's huge. I mean, look, you got sober and you're changing everybody's life around you. Everybody's life. Your husband, your kids. Yep. And my husband doesn't drink nearly as much as he did. I mean, he still drinks and that's a challenge for me. Um, not because I worry about sobriety, but because I'm like, really, why? But again, I don't want to judge him. Um, this miss and Shiki just did an amazing podcast on partners that drink. It is, first of all, they're both friggin' hilarious, right? Um, and but it's just so much good information in there. Yeah, I got her. I, I saw that come up on that, and I that title was like, oh yeah, yeah. I need I need to look at that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I have so much to unpack here, but... Um, and with all your kids, your oldest daughter, but now you, you have time as a mom. Oh, God, yeah. Time, focus, energy. And sometimes, like, that, that fun that we were chasing with the alcohol... Oh, I want you to mention this, yeah. That fun, to me, is no longer... Maybe, maybe it doesn't even really exist in my life, right? That uncontrolled fun... That's, that's no longer anymore. The illusion of fun that we're from the matrix that we're, oh, we got to have fun, that illusion yeah. of fun. Oh my God, constant. 
And I, I don't even, I don't maybe have that anymore, but what I have instead is this joy. And I say that because it relates to my children. Sometimes I feel just pure joy, just being around them or doing something like, like last night, laying down with my son, putting him to sleep and feeling how soft his young face still is. And knowing that I was not experiencing that at all. Like that was, that was the lost hours of my life. And now that joy is so profound and so much more important than fun to me. And that's what I get from, you know, from my children now. And that's what they're getting from me. They're getting me present there, enjoying that and spending that time with them that I never had before. Sleep, sleepovers, you mentioned uh, being there oh, for sleepovers. Oh God, I was always drunk at sleepovers because, you know, children in your house, that was like an excuse to just, first of all, you weren't driving anywhere, so you'd be home anyway. So that was an opportunity to just drink two bottles of wine. Um, but I would never see how that sleepover would evolve what the kids were like with it. I would just kind of ignore them. <laughs> but, um, now I got to see, you know, my kids interact with their friends and see wh who they are when they're outside of the house or when they're not with me. And I found that I really liked them, that they could be really good kids. Um, and you know, that would never have been in my world. That would never have happened for me. And then your relationships with your parents. Oh God. Has yeah. changed. So my parents were some of the last people I told that I was sober in my close knit family because I wanted to make sure that I was um, totally on good footing with my sobriety before I did. And once I did, um, it also enabled me to have these experiences with them that I didn't have for years. Um, I was always looking to, you know, escape them so I could go drink. Um, and I was very cognizant of them judging me about how much I would drink. Um, so I made sure that I didn't drink at all because for me, drinking one or two wasn't worth drinking when they would come to visit. Um, so I would not drink at all. And the whole time I would be thinking, when do they go home? So I could, you know, start drinking that evening. Um, and that's a really crummy place to be, you know, when you love your parents and you know that these years are, are numbered and, uh, and you're focused totally on just drinking and, it, and it literally people, separates you from them. It separates you. It, it keeps you apart from the people who you love. And now the relationship with them is uh, easy and free and I can be with them and not be worrying about when I'm going to go drink again. And I can spend lots of time with them and be totally in it and not feel embarrassed or shamed or crummy about myself. Just feel good. You know, that's amazing. It is. And then when you get to your friends, you mentioned um, birds of a feather also. Yeah, that's a big, um, I still struggle with that right now. So um, I have a big group of friends who are almost like this, like adult sorority. <laughs> I guess I'm never going to be able to show my friends this. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so fun, but I mean, we can love our friends and be honest too. Yeah. Um, so what tied us together, I think 
was mostly the big party, right? Like we were all like big partiers and, um, and we go away together and we, um, you know, we're, we're an awesome, we're an awesome group of people like supporting each other wonderfully, but the, the bad part is the drinking. There's a lot of drinking and it's during the day. It's, 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 everything revolves around alcohol. And whenever we would go out to dinners or whatever, it was always just a whole lot of alcohol. If we would go away for the weekend, it was like spring break part de trois cat, um, you know, with 46, 47 year old women acting like crazy. Um, and I've had to separate myself a bit from that group. Um, you know, they're very understanding. And if I were 23 years old, I don't know that I wouldn't be able to continue with them. I think I would have to make a clean break because I don't think 23 year olds would understand that somebody's getting sober and be able to live in love without feeling judged. But I think my crew at 47 now kind of gets it and has been open and understanding enough to say, okay, this is your journey. And some of them have even come to me and said, I need some help too. That's um, amazing right there. I love that. Yeah. Um, that's been, that's been amazing and rewarding, but um, the ones that haven't kudos to them for still being like, I'm here with you regardless. You're my friend. Um, I'm not going to feel, you know, I'm, this is your journey. This is my journey. And I, I love you regardless. Um, and they haven't done what I think a lot of 23 year olds would do and, and sort of judge from the opposite way. Um, like, oh, you're Miss Sober Sally and you're annoying and you're boring and you're, you know, they haven't done that for me. And well, you, they lose something that's in common when you're that young and there's no yeah. way to fill it. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, with, with regard to my group, they are the ones who are going to continue with you beyond that journey that like, you know, birds of a feather, just fun group are, are going to be, there's going to be more, um, there's going to be you know, more connection. And, and there are some of them who I, who I'm with in that group, who now I get together with for dog walks and coffee and tennis and, you know, different things that, um, or even now in, in year one and a half plus sobriety, I can get together with them for dinner. 19 months. You're in 19 months, aren't you? I don't know. Am I 19 months? Maybe. I think, yeah, I think you are. 600 days. I don't know what that is. Um, you're, you're already at 600 days? Yeah. Oh, you beat me there. <laughs> All right. Well, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in those early days, you really count those days, right? Um, right. And now you kind of like, eh, eh. I mean, I do celebrate the milestones, but I, I feel so good. I don't really notice. In and the I beginning, don't every day was a victory. Every day was and a victory. Big day was a victory. Yeah. Weeks it, were huge. Then, yeah. then we got into months. Right. Right. And I equate that to being a baby. Right. Like, and that's what sobriety has been for me is like, because I had so much experience with four little babies. I, I, I see like that life. It's like a new life. It is. And you're, you're learning how to toddle right in those beginning, beginning months. And then you're learning how to speak at one year old. You're learning to be able to say, I'm sober. And you're learning how to say that to your friends and your family. And then at one and a half, when the normal language explosion happens for children, you're figuring out how to write that down. 
and how to like ex- expand it to just outside of maybe your, your little circle. And, and in my case, it was figure out how to write a book. I know um, that's so cool. And then like approaching two years for me, it's been, how do you give back? Right? Like this awesome thing happened to you. How do you give back to other people? And that I've done with, you know, the relationships I have personally who have reached out to me and want to get sober, but also what's next? Like, what's your next step in this journey? You know, I think a lot of people miss this. That's really important. They don't realize that, that they're, they, they start out by giving back to their family first. You're yeah. giving back to your husband. You're give, giving back to your kids. You're giving back to your parents. Right. And so that uh, starts first. And, and then your friends are seeing this. And then they're coming. Some are coming to talk to you. Then you start giving back that way. And then as you expand this, and eventually, I'm sure this book is just, it's amazing what I've read. I mean, I got stuff highlighted through everything that I've read. (laughs) It's just, and I was telling you that one day, like how I look for quotes with Brene Brown, Mark Mason, you know, and all that. One day we'll be uh, looking at quotes uh, from Megstar, Megstar quotes. Uh, I love that. I love that. I love that idea. Um, So, um, no doubt. See, we're trying to, I've got like 19 minutes left before you. you. Yeah. We may have to do a part two here. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love it. I'm so honored. Cause I really don't feel like my story is like, you know, well, um, see, you know what? And I've been told that before. Oh, well, my story is just blah, but here's the thing. Um, your story is so freaking important because there's so many hiding behind their their in these houses thinking, well, I, I'm just not at that bridge or under that bridge and I don't have consequences. Right. And there's so many women like you, millions and millions of women like you living in the friggin' matrix. Absolutely. And we need to get the work because they're pounding billions of dollars into the airwaves to manipulate everybody. And we just have our voices to help each other. They out. Are. I mean, is it just me or do you see a shift too? Is it because we're living in it? But I feel like there's like some subtle shift, maybe even in like the generation below us, like the millennials, like getting it right. Like realizing that they don't like alcohol is, is their parents drug, right? Like I'm kind of seeing that a little bit where maybe it's because they're constantly on like Instagram and, and, and social media that they have to be careful not to look drunk or not to, I don't know. Well, if you, if you look around IAS, we have a lot of uh, young people in their early thirties, Todd, who writes out of Australia, a lot of this stuff for sober town, um, the modules that he's building where we're building an education center. He's in his early thirties too. Yeah. Um, my son, who's just getting sober, he's 33. Um, right. Yeah. I think there's a shift and, and Todd believes that pretty soon one day there's going to be a huge turnaround yeah. uh, with this. Well, I do feel like it's like the the cigarettes, right? It's like the cigarette industry where now you're basically, um, you know, social outcast <laughs> if you're smoking in many settings uh, where I feel like it's going to take a long time, but maybe alcohol will go that way. And I'm quite hopeful. Um, maybe in the, in the, in the time that my children are growing up, please God, um, you know, but I'm sure something will will arrive to take its place with all of the the desperation we have in our country and world, right? With the with the anxiety and the depression rising, we're always going to find a way to 
dull that and, and not live our authentic lives. And somebody's going to take advantage and capitalize on it. So whether it's alcohol or pot now or whatever, it's going to, it's going to be addressed, but maybe alcohol will fall by the wayside in that time. That, that would be really cool. Um, right. I mean, I still have so much more and you have to be at, you have to go like in 15 minutes. Um, I, I say we do a part two because there's so much more here. Uh, no, no doubt about it. Your life will be different. I mean, and you talk about that and your life is just not even the same. No, right it's, I consider my birthday, my, it's on my amazing necklace that my girlfriends gave me um, that has 525. I don't know. When was a year and a half ago? Um, I've lost track in COVID. Um, <laughs> that, that's my new birthday because I'm honestly a new person. Yes. All the things that led up to my current life are, you know, part of me and they make me who I am, but I feel like a new person. I feel like I was totally reborn. Uh, once I sort of took back my power and got sober, um, I feel like a different human being. And reading your book, I just was so inspired because you've shined a light on all of the gift, like all these gifts of sobriety that you get. I mean, it's just amazing. So I say we do a, a part two on this and we talk more about that. What do you think? I would love that. Okay, love talking. I know. And you're part of the same sober crew too, which makes it so exciting. Super cool. Yeah. Um, so do you have anything that you would like to just like tell everybody right now before we, we close so you can go do what you got to do? Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess if you're that person who's like questioning whether or not you should be getting sober, um, I've never looked back. Like I just, there are moments when I get that pang of like, Oh God, why did I have to do this to myself? Right? Like, why did I have to make this difficult decision? I didn't have to do it. I wasn't being forced. Um, why couldn't I just have that glass um, for, you know, to celebrate New Year's Eve, think it through, um, think it through and remember that your life, that cycle that you're trapped in right now, just never, it never goes away. It never gets better um, until you really kick that monkey off your back and, and stop drinking. You won't ever get to that good place, to that evolved new life that you want and deserve. If you don't, if you don't just take control and, and recognize that one sip of alcohol is not, is, is going to go the wrong direction. I think we need uh, the, everybody needs to know about the Irish exit. I think that needs to be the, like the number one, I'm doing an Irish exit out of, um, from my drinking. And that's a quick, what is that again? Explain it. It's an early exit when you realize that things are getting shitty uh, and you don't want to get embarrassed and you want control. That's all. So this is a great time in our lives to do an Irish exit. Great time to do an Irish exit. Never a bad time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Don't wait for, don't wait for like the destruction of my life to yeah. into your life. Right. Yeah. Don't, don't like let your relationships and your, um, your career and, and, and your self-esteem, don't let it get to that shit. Like get, get, get out while you can. Yeah. Do the Irish exit and then be a lighthouse. And then be a lighthouse. And you, you just be a lighthouse and you don't even have to try it. Just it's organically happens. 
Yeah, be a lighthouse. And as I like to say, like, don't be a douchey lighthouse, right? Like, don't, don't be like, <laughs> right, right. Don't be judgy, you know, um, just, just be by your example. And, and when people come to you, um, help them out. And like if that episode that Shiki and Miss Miss did, um, they talk a lot about that. And there, that doesn't just apply to like, when I was looking at marriages, it applies to like, just going out and being around people, how to relate to them, right? Don't, don't uh, be critical of them and let them have fun and you can have fun. And then when we're there, we're sober, we can still pick up the pieces too, you know? Yeah. And just by being there and by living your authentic experience, you're going to be showing them that there's a possibility of living life without alcohol. I like that authentic because that's part of rewired becoming your authentic self. Yeah. Right. It's true. Right? So um, Megstar, yeah. it is so nice meeting you after over 19 months, 600 days for you. you and too. I'm right behind you. I'm like seven days behind you. Well, congratulations. And then Polly's one day behind me. That's awesome. You two are amazing. Yeah. We've had a lot of fun together. Yeah, I'm lucky to just know you and be part of this. And I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, and we're going to do a part two because there's a lot more that I want to get to. I I feel like we kind of rushed things this time, but, you know, at least we got to meet this time. And then we can talk more about this uh, at a later time because there's your life is beautiful and your relationships with uh, everybody is beautiful. And the way your brain works is pretty beautiful, too. So, boom. Thanks. Thanks. Boom to you. (laughs) okay megstar thank you so much for joining us today and remember everybody sobertownpodcast.com todd has amazing modules built so that you can build a sober toolbox remember the ias app the i am sober app where there's a community you can go there uh, surround yourself with like-minded people and again megstar thank you so very very much Have an amazing day. Thank you, director. And remember, everybody, pour the poison down the sink. Boom.